We have come as far as verse 15. You know, Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at the well. He finally said, the water that he gives, whoever drinks of it, they'll never thirst again. And it'll become in them like a, a, a fountain bubbling up to eternal life. And the woman at this point in time, in verse 15, says to him, Sir, give me this water. She has a sense that it's free. That's how he's talking about it. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. All right, Lord, if you can give this, sir, she doesn't call him Lord, sir, I'll take it. Give it to me. You're going to give me something that I'm never going to thirst again? And that I don't have to come here in my own energy and let down the bucket and load it in my stone pot and carry it home. Give it to me. Now, Jesus knows her circumstance. You know, we're told in chapter 2 that he had no need for anybody to tell him about man because he knows what's in man. Psalm 139 tells us before... We pray before we say a word, before it's formed in our mouth, he already knows it. We're told that when the the men let down their friend on the litter through the roof, they tore the roof up to be healed, Jesus said, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven. And it says, but he knew what was in the Pharisee's heart. They were saying, this is blasphemous. So with this woman, he knows her better than she knows herself. He knows her circumstance. She said, I'll take some of this water. You're giving this out? Let me have it. So he says, all right. He says, go your way. Get thy husband. Come here. You want the water? And those are imperatives. Then you need to be going. You need to do it. It's not, a, not a, an option. It's an imperative and it's present tense. You need to be going. You need to call your husband, imperative, and you need to be here. Those are heirless. This needs to happen. It needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. If you want to drink of the water that I'm offering you, you need to go and call your husband and you need to bring him here. She said, I have no husband. That's the shortest thing she said, by the way, in the whole conversation. And Jesus says, thou hast well said, I have no husband, because thou hast had five husbands, and the one you're living with now you're not married to. Now, I don't know if the Lord, I don't think at all he says that you, you ain't kidding, baby. You don't have a husband. I don't think it was that attitude at all. I think she's broken. She's empty. He understands. And he was trying to show her she's been drinking in the wrong well. And it was deep. And she had nothing to draw with. And she went from husband to husband to husband. She was still thirsty. She was drinking in the wrong place, as do people with fentanyl and alcohol, and money, and success, and bitterness. You know, people drink from those wells and drink and drink and drink, and the deepest part of their being is never satisfied. 
he knows the deal. Go on, get your husband, call him, bring him back here. I don't have a husband. That's the truth. You've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Look, it tells us some interesting things. First of all, if you're living together, you're not married. If you're living in sexual sin with someone, you ain't married. Don't give me that, well, we're married in God's eyes. No, God right here is talking, and he says you ain't married. So I'd rather believe the book than believe you. Second of all, well, we can get married. It's just a piece of paper. Well, if it's just a piece of paper before you get married, girls, be careful. Then it's just going to be a piece of paper after you get married as well. And there's something divine in all of this. You know, Genesis chapter 2.18, after God going through all the days of creation, and each day he said, behold, it was good. Behold, it was very good. Everything he had done, the first time he says something's not good, Genesis 2.18, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So I'm going to make him a helper. That's King James' meat. The idea in, in the language is co-responding, that the wife is going to be his co-respondent. He's going to respond one way. She's going to respond another way. They're co-responders. And the reason is, it says he causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Then Adam gets ripped off. Probably, more accurately, Eve gets ripped off of Adam. You know, God takes something from his side, and with it he made the woman. Same DNA, same same genes and chromosomes. She's not made from the dust the way he is made from her. But then he separates more than just physical frame, because the woman has a different makeup spiritually, emotionally, than a man. And any woman married here knows that. Your husband. How many times you say to yourself, I'm telling you, he's not all there. <laughs> this guy is not all there. How can he wander around in Home Depot for an hour? What's he mean, hunting? You know, we go to the market. You know, you know, why does he have to watch? When it's the fourth quarter, oh my goodness, I'm not going to interrupt him. I'm not going to interrupt You know, I'm telling you, the guy is not all there. Why doesn't he want to sit and talk for a few hours? <laughs> have some tea. Just share our hearts. He ain't all there. Do you know why? Wives, go look in the mirror and you'll know why he ain't all there. Because you are taken out of him and together, it's by God's design, a husband and a wife make something. It's why a woman and a woman or a man and a man could never make marriage because marriage is joining back together something that was initially separated and it takes male and female for that to happen. Because somewhere in there is the image of the creator. So like this woman, I don't know what she said five times. Man, this guy ain't all there. This guy ain't all there, you know. What should I do, look for another man? If you're saying that to yourself, should I look for another man? Yes. The son of man. The son of man. The second Adam. 
because he's all there. And he loves to sit for hours in fellowship. He's tender. He loves to have those deep conversations. Jesus probably even likes herbal tea, I would imagine. (laughs) And the thing that she is realizing in this well that she's drinking of is there is no husband that will ever perfectly fulfill the deepest longing in his wife. That would be idolatry. There is no wife that will ever fulfill the deepest longing in the heart of her husband. That would be idolatry. We're made with a God-shaped void in our lives. Fentanyl won't fill it. Pornography won't fill it. Alcohol won't fill it. Illicit relationships won't fill it. A wife won't fill it. A child won't fulfill it. A husband won't fulfill it. It's, there is a place in our lives that is made exclusively for the Lord to fulfill the deepest place in our life. And she's been drinking at the wrong well. She's still thirsting. She was thirsting after one husband. She was still thirsting after two husbands, after three husbands, after four, after five, and then probably doesn't even want to get married. She's just living with a guy at this point in time. And Jesus said, you've been drinking at the wrong well. All right, give me this water. You want it? Go, call your husband and bring him here. He's going to open the well with that. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. You've had five. And the one you're living with now, he's not your husband. There is no father, no husband, no son that can ever fulfill the deepest longing in the heart of a woman because she's part of God's image and likeness and only he can go to that place in her life. The woman at the well here then says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Which That's confession, by the way. Shouldn't say who you think you are prying into my private life. She knows the only way he could know this. This Jew is a prophet standing in front of me. This is a Jewish prophet, sir, I perceive. Now, does she say that with her voice quivering? Is her heart broken? You've pulled the veil off of my broken heart. Yeah, I've had five. I'm not happy now living with a guy. I perceive you're a prophet. And then she says, our fathers say that we should worship in this mountain. And you say, in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. We're going to have the word worship ten times in four verses. It's not just song. That's maybe part of praise. Worship is to bow down in front of Worship is to take hold and to kiss the feet. Worship is to prostrate the soul, prostrate the soul and the mind, to to fall down in front of. She says, all right, I'm empty. I'm broken. I'm miserable. You're a prophet. What now? Where do I worship? Our fathers say this mountain. The Jews say that mountain. Where can I bow down? Where can I get right? 
And the question is not where. She doesn't know that yet. The question is who, not where. And Jesus is going to startle her by the answer that he gives to her. Jesus said unto her, notice, woman. doesn't say floozy. It's not what he sees. Woman, believe me. You say I'm a prophet, believe me. The hour is coming, cometh, is coming. A prophet would know that. When you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship. Now he blows her mind when he says the Father. You worship, you know not what. We, including himself with the Jews of the tribe of Judah, we know that, that we worship. The reason for salvation is, not will be, is of ek, out from the Jews. He, he says, the hour cometh, now is. Salvation is. He, he speaks to her of a present reality. He says, you have to understand this. The time is coming. And it's neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Think how shocked the Samaritan immoral woman is to hear this Jewish prophet say, even Jerusalem doesn't count. I mean, she was shocked to hear this from a Jew. Not in Jerusalem either. Will the Father be worshipped? And aren't we glad of that? Because the veil was torn, the priesthood was no longer needed, Jerusalem would be sacked by the Romans, but the church is spread around the world. That's why they're praying in every country for the Ukraine today. Because it wasn't in Jerusalem. He didn't say, you got to go to Jerusalem. No, something else was about to happen and was in process. That's why we're here this morning, because it's not in a location. It's in spirit and in truth. He says, the hour cometh, it's on its way, and in fact is here. He was there. You shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship, and again, the Father. You worship, you know not what. We worship. We, what we worship, we worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, it's coming, it's on his way. And remarkably, he says, and now is. He was standing in front of her. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the reason for the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's telling her two things about the Father now. He says, God Almighty, this God of Israel, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she says, first of all, God is a spirit, Jesus says to her. 
not he's not per se saying the Holy Spirit. He's saying God is spirit. Solomon realized, realized that when he dedicated the temple. He said the heavens themselves can't contain you. How can anybody ever put up a building that, that would house you? You know, Shekinah was there on the, the mercy seat, and he let that be known. But, you know, the Israel of old knew well, and David would say, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me fast. God's not located like the gods of the Canaanites. He's not geographical. God is spirit. He says that to her, and then remarkably, I think, even to his own disciples, this early, and Nicodemus couldn't handle this. He's talking to this immoral woman who he loves, who he's brokenhearted over her emptiness and all the wrong things she's done trying to fulfill that. More than that, he says, God is a father. happens inside of her when she hears that? Does her memory hark back to a different day when there was a man that cared about her, her father? Does her mind hark back to a father that was abusive? Is her father's sepulcher, I imagine, close at hand where they're sitting at the well? What awakened in her when she heard that? And it would blow the mind of, of, of Matthew, of the Jews. God is a father, it says here. He had told us in chapter 1, he said, But as many as received him, to them gave he power, authority, to become the sons, the born ones of God, even to those who call upon his name. He tells us this. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm sure that blows her mind as she hears this. You know, I was talking yesterday, and a friend said I was at the the border of Poland, and I saw thousands of women and grandmas and little kids, some trudging through the mud, some still trying to get their cars to run, many out of gas. And he said they were stalwart. Nobody was crying. Nobody was complaining. He said, I was overwhelmed at their strength. But I think, what about the father that stayed behind? Who doesn't know where his wife is, doesn't know where his daughter is? What about the father who's brokenhearted over that missing daughter? 
What about the Father's heart in heaven who loves his more than we love ours? Who watched this woman in Samaria in her immorality and her emptiness? Jesus told me, said to us, it must needs be that he goes through Samaria because there was a prodigal daughter there. There's one whose heart was empty. And there was a war. There was an enemy that driven her away. And his heart, no doubt, is broken for her. Jesus says, you don't have to go to Jerusalem because this father, he says, seeketh such to worship him. You know, we're told many times we should seek the Lord, that we should seek him with all of our heart. There's so many, you know, exhortations through the scripture for us to to pray, to seek the Lord. But there are places where he says, I sought for a man among them. My eyes go to and fro throughout the earth to find one whose heart is perfect towards me. That might show myself strong on his behalf. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And sometimes we, in our own hearts, I don't think, we don't measure out the immensity of what he's saying here. Because this word seek here doesn't mean just to desire or to hope. It means to step into action and to do something. He's seeking actively, remarkably, The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And look, a first grader could take that and understand what it means in spirit and in truth. Worship should be spiritual, not Jerusalem with a set of laws or Mount Gerizim with a set of laws. God is the spirit, so he's seeking those who would worship him in that context, but he says in spirit and in truth. So important. You see around the church today those who just worship in spirit, charismania, and they don't have rules sometimes to govern their behavior. And God bless them. Some people flourish there. But the governor is gone. There are some people in the church today, they only worship in truth, not spirit. And they're dry bones, dead orthodoxy. They're so right, they're dead right. And how we need the combination of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. A biblical perspective of our Father, of the Holy Spirit, of genuine worship and praise. I remember one time when I had picked up Norm Geisler at the airport and we were driving up 95 and he said, what's going on? We talked, I said, well, we're... We're doing a prayer meeting on Sunday nights now. I said, you know, the Bible says that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I realized in some ways we've been playing a one-string banjo for a long time. It was necessary, and that was teaching, teaching, teaching. But we're teaching and we're praying now. He said, ah, the Father seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And he wants that. Look. You're here today, you're like this woman. You've been drinking from the wrong well. You've been trying to fill yourself with whatever. Pornography, fentanyl, 
sin, relationships, money, power, whatever it might be. You've been trying to fill yourself, and you're empty, and you will continue to come up empty. You will continue to want more and more and never be satisfied. But if you today in truth can say, Lord, I'm blowing it. I'm compromised. I'm sinning. I'm empty. Truth. Truth. And you're genuinely saying that to the living God, your Savior. He's looking for those who will come to him in spirit and truth. He doesn't want any baloney. Neither do you. And sadly, you and I can know religious people that can talk about religious stuff, and they're dead. There's no life. They've never been born again. They haven't come to the Savior. They've never drank of the living water. And then you and I so often can start that way and then wander off somewhere. But this, Jesus says, the Father seeketh those to worship him that way. He leaves the 99 to go get the one that's wandered astray. He stands like the father waiting for the prodigal, and when he sees him, he runs and throws his arms around him and kisses him and you know, puts a robe back on him and the signet ring again and has a feast. That's who he is. And because of that, it must needs be that he went through Samaria because he was seeking this one individual as he did in our lives. And what he wants from us is to, he wants time alone with us. He wants time that no human can satisfy because he's not satisfied unless he has a portion of our life alone to himself. Certainly there's corporate worship Certainly, we're thankful we can study the scripture and we can sing his praise. We can gather for public prayer, but that can never replace private prayer, private fellowship, intimacy with the Lord. Never. And he says, such the Father seeketh to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, is coming. He's on his way. He's coming. The Messiah is coming. And it's interesting. She uses the Jewish phrase, Messiah, here. She's talking to this Jewish prophet. We know that Messiah is coming. Now, we don't know if John put this in for his Gentile readers, which is called Christ, the anointed one. She says, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Literally, he will teach us all things. Because we don't know a lot about the Samaritan perspective of the Messiah. They believed there was a coming one. They embraced the first five books of Moses, so they had some sense but they believe he was coming as a teaching Messiah, not necessarily to forgive sins, 
And she stayed, they had a different title they gave to him other than Messiah. She's talking to this Jewish prophet. And said, we know this is going to happen. The Messiah is coming. He's on his way. And when he comes, he's going to tell us, he's going to teach us all things. I wonder what she's thinking. He's going to tell us all things. You're right, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now. He's going to teach us or tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, now the King James James says it this way, I that speak unto thee am he. The Greek says, I am he. Ego am I. I am is what God said to Moses at the burning bush. I am he that that is speaking unto thee. What was that that like? What was his tone of voice? What was he looking like? What did he, did he, did he grab her face? Did he get close? Did he say, I am he, I'm the one, the Messiah, I'm the one who's talking to you. Or was it just that he remained sitting weary and thirsty on the side of the well and she stood close? And he looked up at her, this tired Jew, thirsty. You know that Messiah is coming. I that speak unto thee am he. The man she was always looking for was right in front of her eyes. Did she fall down on her face? We're not told. Did she crumble? We're not told. What was it like to hear him say that? Listen, if we want to be those who worship him in spirit and truth, look around this room. There's a couple thousand different stories here, and he knows them all. He knows us all individually. He knows my story. He knows my heartache. He knows my compromise. He knows what I wrestle with. He knows all of those things about me. I'm his son. And if I say, Lord, I'm thirsty, I just, and it'll say, oh, yeah, go get your husband. All right, Lord, I'm busted. And it's not where you worship, it's who you worship. You don't have to go to Calvary Chapel. You have to go to a building. It's who, it's not where. But worship is bowing down. Worship is laying the soul and the heart before someone else. And all he's asking for, he's not asking for you to be sinless. You could have already been married five times. You could be living in sexual sin. He's not asking you to be sinless. He's asking for you to come to him in spirit and in truth. That you would bring your heart and you would be honest before him of where you are. Because he knows. He knows. And you come to realize as you're in his presence, the only reason you're there is because he seeks He was standing at the door knocking at your heart. 
And if you say today, you know, I know there's forgiveness, I know. And this voice is saying, you know, come, you know, you need to be genuine, you need to turn away from that, you need to come to me. And you're saying, I know, I know, listen closely. Is he saying, I that speak unto thee am he? Is he saying to your heart today, you're hearing my voice? It's me. I'm here. I'm speaking to you. How remarkable. How remarkable. How remarkable. I really do encourage you guys just to make sure you take that time alone with him. He has a marvelous way of bringing to the surface our self-righteousness and all of our nonsense and the things. You know, we're being conformed into his image, and that's where we're headed, an image, not just a destiny. And he's committed to continue the good work he's begun within us, but it calls for many of these meetings, many of them, regularly. I find if I don't spend at least an hour alone with him in the morning, my day is ruined before I even ruin it. But there's tears, there's his presence, there's his voice, there's something he speaks, there's something he says. And he's there. And I can be transparent. I don't have to be anything because salvation is standing in front of me. And he says, you know, it must needs be that I had to go through Philadelphia because you were there. And I've been watching you since you were little. I remember when I got saved drinking in all the wrong places and still empty. And I remember his presence filling the room. Was a person. Wasn't, you know, some electric electric charge. It was a, it was an individual, a person. I was overwhelmed. His holiness, I hung my head, but what washed over me and over me was his love. I could hardly breathe. I could hardly breathe. It was his love over and over. And only several times in my 50 years with him have I experienced that. But I have experienced that several times. And he knows when we need it. And if you're running on empty today, and you're tired, you're worn out, first of all, if you've never come to him, we're going to ask you to do it at the end of the service. You can get out of your seat. You can walk down here. We would love to pray with you, give you a Bible. Listen closely and see if you hear, I that speak unto thee am he. Know that Jesus is talking to you. And if you need to repent of your sins and turn away from the day and come to him for forgiveness, you come as we sing the last song. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go with you. I'm going to do this too.
you're a believer. And you're thirsting after what you shouldn't be thirsting after. And you know it because of spirit and truth. And he says to you today, it's me. It's me. I'm talking to you. And if you just like to jettison that, whatever it is, and just leave it as we worship, you're welcome to come forward as well. But let's stand. Let's pray. Let's bring our hearts before our Jesus, our Jesus, our sweet Jesus. Lord, we look to you, Lord. And we, these images, Lord, rise off the page. They speak to us, Lord. They speak to us where we are, where we live, where we breathe, where we struggle, where we rejoice, Lord. And, and Lord, this is from your eternal word. This is who you are. This is who you are today, Lord. It's who you are in the life of every one of us standing here and the life of those who are listening, Lord. It's who you are. Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh. We look at the world crumbling around us in so many ways. And Lord, we ask for some continuity in our own being. We ask for, Lord, a heart and a life that pleases you. Lord, we ask that we might more deeply drink, Lord, of, of what it is that only you can fulfill in our lives, Lord. Teach us to pray and teach us to pray better, Lord. Teach us to seek you and then to seek you more deeply, Lord. Teach us to love you and then love you in a greater way. We put these things before you, Lord. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.